Good morning, everybody. It's um, a beautiful spring day, and I want to thank you all for coming out and supporting the women's ministry at Free Christian. It's with your support that they can continue to have breakfast and this platform for testimonies. Before I begin um, my story, God's story, it's important for you to um, know a bit about my background to better understand my spiritual upbringing. It all began at five years old. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Imagine my surprise as a five-year-old who preferred playing the Lone Ranger with a cap gun wrapped around my waist exploring my grandfather's farm to being inside playing with dolls when my well-intentioned mother one day announces she'd signed me up for the children's choir at the Ballard Vale United Church. It's a little fuzzy. Um, on one, two, the fourth on the top. The perfect bangs, the perfect curls. <laughs> Not happy. Uh, Sunday school, church with my Nana, singing hymns, listening to sermons, seemed more than enough for me. But now a choir robe, Shirley Temple curls, and told not to talk to my neighbor next to me. Not my idea of what I should be doing with my time on a beautiful, sunny, play outdoors kind of day. We know what that's like. Soon to follow with more devastating news, the choir director thought I would be perfect to play Mother Mary in the Christmas pageant. <laughs> Again, the perfect bangs. That's my mom. Um, now I had to marry Joseph, have a baby, and name him Jesus. This, this is how I'm thinking. My mother was thrilled, not me so much. During my teen years, I joined both the junior and senior youth groups, and I even went on to teaching Sunday school. I married at the age of 24 in the very church where I was baptized. As young newlyweds, we soon went on to have the world's two most beautiful children, Erin Elizabeth and Christopher Stephen. I might add, they were baptized at the same church I was. God had already blessed me in too many ways to count. Happy marriage and a house to raise our children, and back then interest rates were like 18%. My faith in God was unwavering. Our first home, small Cape Cod style, had the white picket fence that we all want. And that's when my perfect world came to an unexpected screeching halt. My husband suffered a fatal heart attack, what they call today the widow maker. He was 48, I was 46. Because he was never diagnosed with a heart condition earlier that month, during his regular yearly physical exam, it was required by law he have an autopsy. They wanted to rule out foul play. In other words, being his wife, I was the first one under suspicion. Until poisoning was ruled out. I was with him when he took his last breath, thank God. Immediately, I had to address home and business finances Two children, both in college, very expensive college, um, a mortgage, two car loans, 
and last but not least, a few chats with our friends at the IRS. With my full-time job in marketing, tuition and monthly bills were getting paid. Eventually, I became cautiously optimistic about being an independent single mom. Life was not the same and I realized it never would be. I survived by learning to get through the days, first by the minutes, then the weeks, and then the months. I knew at the very least I could manage to get through this one month at a time. My derailed train got back on its track and to start my new normal as a widow. In survivor mode, I became a warrior, a victor. I was growing stronger by the day, making decisions I'd never dreamed I'd be making. I felt so amazing, so confident, I even made a pact with God, and I prayed. God, I know you are a loving God. You gave me the strength when I needed to go on, but God, you took my husband. Just don't ever think about taking my children. Imagine I was making a pact with God. Have you ever experienced life when it's moving a bit too smoothly for far too long? And start to wonder when the next shoe would drop, the ax would fall? My ax fell about a year later, when my father was diagnosed with heart disease and shortly after inoperable brain cancer. My mother, sister, and I, we knew his prognosis was terminal and we took him home to be with hospice care. Thank God we were all with him when he passed. I was with him as he took his last breath. To everyone's astonishment, even mine, I took it surprisingly well. My reasoning was he was 76 years old. He was happily married to my mother for 50 years. He had two daughters, certainly better than dying at 48, like my husband did. My church upbringing and relationship with my loving God was being tested, and I started to even question my faith. My agreement with God concerned my children. I should have added my father. My only sister and sibling, Gail, lost her husband, Jay, from lung cancer shortly after dad had passed. Yet another huge blow to the family. He left two young daughters. Imagine my mother and her two daughters, all widows at the same time. I remember so vividly saying, if one more goes, we'll all have to leave town. <laughs> my sense of humor at times acts as a shield for my nerves. The problem is it doesn't have a filter. Gail laughed, my mother didn't. Looking back at Dad's hospitalization, I remembered his good friend visited him quite frequently, Walt Kimball. He was a widower and I was a widow. And when you meet someone that has gone through the experience of losing a spouse, it's very comforting to talk and share your experiences. I later realized how odd it was, such a coincidence, that when I went to visit my father at home or at the hospital, Walt was there. He did confess later he figured out my schedule <laughs> to visit my father 
and he planned his visits around mine. Thank you, God. As many of you know here, today the sparks flew. We felt like 16 years old. It was wonderful. We decided to elope on Christmas Eve, right here where I'm standing, with God as our only witness. We didn't even want to tell the kids. We didn't want any input. Earlier that day, Walt called Jack Daniel, the senior pastor at the time, and asked if he would marry us that afternoon. <laughs> After all, they were very good friends. They had known each other for over 30 years. They raised children together. It shouldn't be a problem, right? Jack, being the gentleman he is, politely mentioned, as only Jack can say, I'm a bit busy today, Walt. <laughs> I'm preparing for both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services, hoping Walt would get the subtle hint that he was a bit busy. What we heard was, great, come on down. I've got nothing to do. I would love to marry you. Come on over. We were there within the hour. Looking back. God felt our meeting, visiting dad, getting married was because of God, a God thing. I could only think what a sweet man. I was so blessed. I knew it was just a very big coincidence. I called our meeting at the hospital, chance, good luck, kismet. In a flash, I was the proud mother of five, three boys, two girls, grandmother to five, now six, a stepmom and the dreaded mother-in-law. <laughs> oh, there they are. Um, um, this was taken a few years ago. It's one of the few times they were all together at the same time. They come from all around the country and they're much older now, but this, this shot, it's very dear to me. Um, we were at a great time in our lives. The early years of raising children were behind us, the kids were grown, and starting families and careers of their own. We started to even consider retirement. Life was very precious. My life became a book, as I'm sure many of you have. It has many chapters, some sad, some happy, and for the first time together, we were about to enter a new chapter. It came, excuse me, Easter Day. And I get a phone call as I'm setting the table for Easter for 15. It was the call all parents have nightmares about. My daughter, Erin, 27, was baking cookies in her apartment in Boston with her boyfriend. She was bringing them to Easter dinner. Sweets was her highlight when she collapsed from what she called a crippling migraine that has no words to describe the kind of pain she was experiencing. Easter ham was in the oven. The veggies were all set to go. I called my sister <clears throat> and told her about Erin's collapse and asked her to come over and please keep this meal going. My plan was to be home in a few hours with Erin and join everyone for dessert the favorite part of the meal. However, when she called everyone, all 15 guests decided unanimously not to come. 
When we arrived at Mass General, she was in emergency being evaluated. It comforted me knowing the attending surgeons were some of the best in the world and how fortunate we are to have Boston so close to us, right here in Boston. They couldn't sedate her or ease her pain. They needed her fully awake to answer questions and observe her response to being pinched and pierced with needles. Soon the tests were back and the diagnosis finally was determined. DVT, deep vein venous thrombosis, which I soon learned were brain aneurysms and brain bleeds. Basically, it's all the same. Her brain, her brain, excuse me, just wouldn't stop bleeding. She was missing a certain protein that wouldn't allow her blood to clot. After five invasive major brain surgeries, she slipped into a coma. She was alive, thank God, but she had suffered several strokes that left her blind, paralyzed, and unable to talk. Walt was already measuring doorways and jams at home, planning the ramps and getting the house wheelchair ready. With the news of her most recently relapse, her friends came to pray from Park Street Church, the church she was attending. She loved it there. The next day, Pastor Jack and his wife Kathy came to pray over Aaron, and they ended their prayer, please heal Aaron, God be it your will. Amen, his will not mine. That's it. Medical science isn't the answer, it's prayer. I was filled with glorious hope. At only 27, she had a long life ahead, although blind, paralyzed, unable to talk, but alive, and she was a fighter. Her father used to call her the Hornet, and that was her nickname. I felt with rehab I would get my daughter back. The next day she was brain dead. The hundreds of prayers, prayer chains, they didn't work. Where was God? I thought we made an agreement that he wouldn't take a child of mine. How was I going to take my last breath, live without my daughter? She was quickly whisked away for her final surgery to harvest her organs while they were still viable. At age 16, she had decided to be an organ donor, and it was marked very clearly on her driver's license. I was with her when she took her last breath. Stunned, I turned to my husband, and I asked him with this finger, tell me, where is your God right now? We were both in shock, blinded by our tears and in disbelief. He wasn't my God anymore. I denounced him when Aaron took her last breath. I'd had enough. I looked up to heaven, telling God he had the wrong family. We'd already suffered the grief of losing a husband, a father, a brother-in-law, and now my daughter. He, he didn't hear me. Denying my grief put me into clinical depression. PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder and debilitating anxiety-filled panic attacks that obviously needed medical attention. 
from previous experience, I knew in my heart, without my daughter, my next chapter, my new normal would be a living hell. I came to a point in my grief where I needed to make a decision to go on or not. Fortunately, I made the deliberate choice to get back into my routine, just to go on. I still had a son and a husband. My routine included returning to church, God's church, right here where Aaron's funeral service was held. It was more than heart-wrenching, it was grueling. Telling everybody I was fine when they asked. I put on that smile and I told very well-intentioned friends what I thought they needed to hear. I'm doing fine, I'm great, I'm amazing. They couldn't possibly want to hear what I had to say. Week after week, probably sitting right there, I cast my eyes downward, anything to take my mind off these sermons, telling me God's unconditional love. One Sunday, I had to wipe away my tears before I could believe what I was reading on the back of the pew in front of me. A very small, bright red flyer that said, Alpha. Got questions? Where do I sign up? <laughs> Alpha meetings are held here around the world, but here as well at Free Christian Church. It encourages people to probe and discuss any life issue. No wrong questions. It's a safe place to give you a better understanding of your personal relationships, including the one you have, or in my case, not have, with God. Brace yourself, Alpha, I was ready. Obviously, my first question of dozens, where was God when I needed him? Why me, was the second. I literally pummeled my leader with questions about God, fairness, hope, every week for two months. But in spite of myself, Alpha did, ex <clears throat> excuse me, Alpha did succeed in planting a tiny little mustard seed that grew into a glimmer of hope. I went on to be a small group junkie. I was absorbing his word like a sponge, joining as many as three groups in one week, which don't ever do. <laughs> one at a time, maybe two. Revitalized with a new hope, my never-ending, continually growing list of questions, unbeknownst to me, was God weaving his plan for me. My questions were turning me in new directions every day, strengthening me to continue my quest for my answers. This was the beginning of my healing, the band-aid was coming off. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God works all things for good. He cried with me when Aaron died. He cried as he watched his only son being barbarically nailed to a cross for my sins. At least he understood my pain. God had never left my side, 
even when I had denounced him. He loved me in spite of that, in spite of my sins and doubts and questions. And I knew for the first time his arms were wrapped around me, trying to soften this hardened heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, this is perfect. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Still healing, but skeptical, I challenge God to take my grief and suffering from losing Aaron and show me the good, any bit of good from this tragedy. I want to hear the good. It was a challenge. Now I'm reading according to Philippians. Apostle Paul wants me to find the joy, the joy of my sufferings, as he did while he was imprisoned and tortured for his Christian beliefs. God was taking one of my questions, he was taking every one of my questions, and almost frustratingly not answering them, he would redirect me over and over. So as a result, I was learning more about him. He's quite cheeky, our God. <laughs> he was holding my hand to walk with me. Five years of baby steps. God knew after years and years of questioning, challenging, and studying his word and promises, I was now better equipped to understand his reason for answering my prayer with a no. And I was ready. One day, with the same question on autopilot, I had asked this so many times, I asked Walt unknowingly for the last time, why? When? He answered, your prayer was answered with a no because he answered Aaron's prayer with a yes. Two different prayers from two different people for the same prayer. He answered my prayer with a no because he answered Aaron's prayer with a yes. I had been blinded by my loss, my life without her, my devastation, my grief. Do you hear it? Mine, mine, mine. I can't. I can't. I this, I that. I wasn't even thinking of Aaron's prayers, thoughts, or needs. Silence followed. I was speechless. I wanted to challenge and argue this reasoning, but I couldn't. While running the words through my head again and again, I felt the weight of my trials lifted from my shoulders as well as my heart. I literally felt the warmth of God's Holy Spirit filling me up, singing a chorus in my heart. God was smiling, clapping, and cheering. Yes, she got it. As a Christ follower and Christian, Erin had been praying boldly, asking God to heal her or take her home for eternal life with the Lord. Let it be his will. The difference being, she knew the answer was up to God, 
not me. Aaron, I now know you were ready to go home, knowing you would be completely healed, pain-free, and having the peace and joy of knowing you will be with God forevermore. There she is. That was about the last photo that was ever taken of her. God does not waste any opportunity to display his love. <clears throat> to remind us he has a much bigger, better plan for our lives. My renewed faith and trust in God and the joy of allowing the Lord to be my source of power came as a result of my tragedies. With my trust, he blessed me with resiliency, confidence, assurance, guidance, and abundance. Most importantly, his love. But you must understand, you need faith to experience it. He wants to do the same for you. You only need to ask. Before I close, I would like to read you a poem that I just recently found um, on the internet. And God said no. It was written by Claudia Wise. And at the end, I have copies here if you'd like one. I asked God to take away my pride, and God said, no. He said it was not him. He said it was not for him to take away, but to give me hope. Excuse me, I'm so sorry. Few nerves. I asked God to take away my pride, and God said, no. He said it was not for him to take away, but for me to give up. I asked God to make my handicapped child whole, and God said no. He said her spirit is whole, her body is only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience, and God said no. He said that patience is a byproduct of tribulation. It isn't granted, it's earned. I asked God to give me happiness, and God said, no. He said he gives blessings, and happiness is up to me. I asked God to spare me the pain, and God said, no. He said, suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I asked God to make my spirit grow, and he said, no. He said, I must grow on my own but he will prune me to make me fruitful. I ask God to help me love others as much as he loves me. And God said, finally, you've got the idea. Uh, thank you very much.